welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd. Welcome to new, The New Jesus. Um, I think I accidentally uh, started a series. We've been trying ever since I started this, about a year and a half ago, to get these really short and concise and all stand on their own. And I do think they stand on their own. Um, and I'm working on the short and concise. But I need you to understand, it is much more important to me to be accurate to the Word and to the whole leading of the Holy Spirit, and to be pleasing to God, rather than to make it short and concise. And some of these things we're discussing are deep waters. You know, Hebrews talks about, you're still, you're still on a baby bottle when you need to be on meat, spiritually, okay? And, um, and some of the stuff we're talking about is meat. It's deeper water. And I just want to make sure that, you know, we're on firm ground, okay? Um, the place this started was the symptom complex. And one way you can know kind of where you are spiritually is are you experiencing what in the New Testament we're told we should experience with grace if we're in grace under the New Covenant, which is grief because we've sinned, we've, we've caused pain to the Father. Uh, it says that the Father is grieved by our sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin, and we are one with Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. So when we sin, it's a betrayal to our spouse, spiritually, our bridegroom, to Jesus. It's, 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 um, it, it's going against His will and His wishes in our relationship. And, and I should feel bad about that and causing pain and, and betraying my spiritual, uh, who I'm one with, the mystery of the ages, Jesus. I should feel bad about that, but that grief should be just grief and sadness that I've hurt somebody I loved and maybe stubbed my toe spiritually again, yet again, for the millionth time. But the point is that 
under God's new covenant, I don't have to feel guilt and shame and condemnation and all that stuff, okay? Because in God's eyes, that sin is gone. And literally, he says, it is remembered no more by God, okay? Jesus paid for it. It does not belong to us, etc. So, if, you're, if when you sin, or you believe you sin, and you experience guilt, shame, condemnation, oh, I'm so bad, or anger, or blaming, or, you know, any of those negative things that we've talked about that come from fear, you are choosing to live under the old law. And, and, and Paul said that to the Galatians. Why? Who has bewitched you into believing another gospel? They've gone back to the old law, okay? And, and, and Paul literally called it another gospel. Okay, and one they were not supposed to be following. They were supposed to be following the new covenant of grace, love, etc. So if when you sin, you experience the guilt, shame, condemnation, you may be saved, you may be a Christian, a follower of Jesus in right standing even, but you're choosing for your experience to be under the old covenant, not the new. Now you may not know you're choosing that, but you are, okay? If, on the other hand, when you sin, you experience grief, a little sadness, but then, pretty quickly, to thankfulness, gratitude, praise, because I'm under grace. I am innocent. I'm a saint. It, 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 that, that literally was never written under my name, Scripture it says. So it doesn't have to be forgiven, it was never written under my name, but it is forgiven before the foundations of the world, and I believe now too. Now my experience of forgiven or not uh, depends on the work of God and the Holy Spirit in Jesus, and also my understanding of that, or, or in a lot of cases, misunderstanding. So are you experiencing sadness, grief, but then thankfulness, gratitude, or guilt, shame, condemnation. Well, that's the law, that's the covenant you're choosing to live under. And you at least need to be aware that that's what you're doing, okay? Because God will allow you that choice. He allowed the New Testament Christians in Galatia that choice, and they chose to live under the old covenant. And, and Paul said, are you out of your mind? You've got this incredible thing with grace and love and innocence and you're a saint and all this stuff and you're choosing to live under condemnation and guilt and shame? What sense does that make? And I believe the answer is none, okay? And kind of by accident, this little mini-series, I think, uh, would probably have to be entitled It Doesn't Matter. Because in the first one, we talked about how we have all these things that we want in our life. Success, um, material possessions, retirement, trips, cars, houses, clothes, whatever. And we tend to value our life based on whether we're getting the stuff that we feel like is in our definition of the life that I want. Okay? The problem is... In light of eternity, none of those things matter in an eternal perspective. None of them. In fact, I'm convinced 
The great majority of them, we won't even remember at all. No memory at all. And, and, and so um, this is maybe, I hope, the last stage of this, but there may possibly be one more. Okay, so here's kind of the thing. We're talking about being transformed, okay? Only if you are transformed scripturally in the New Testament, it is possible you'll experience more pain and less pleasure rather than what we all want, which is less pain and more pleasure. Now, it'll be different because under the new covenant of grace and love, even the pain, I can, I can be joyful and at peace even through pain. I can be joyful and at peace even when I don't have the pleasure that I would most like to have. Where if I'm under the old law, it's just pain. That's it, okay? Uh, and, and this is, uh, and so we talked about, okay, what about the stuff that I want in my life? That's not going to matter. Then last session, we talked about sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. What if I commit sins? That surely has to matter. Yes, sin always matters because, it, because God hates it. It's not what we're supposed to do. It's not what's going to lead to our best life, which is what God wants. Okay? It, it separates us from God, I believe, for a period of time because faith requires time. All right? Um, but in light of, still in light of eternity, outside of it causing grief and pain to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and I should feel sad and some grief about that, okay? But outside of that, from an eternal perspective again, if I'm right with the Lord, I'm a Christian, a believer, I'm right with God, right with Jesus, uh, my intention is to never leave, etc., okay? Then what happens when I do commit sin? Outside of the grief and pain that causes God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I believe the answer is the same. It doesn't matter. Because those sins are already all paid for. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Okay? Um, it is of grace, not works, lest anyone should boast, etc. Okay? Um, so even if the pain gets worse and there's less pleasure, what you do get, you may not get your mansion or, or Ferrari or Corvette, Corvette, but what you do get is kindness, patience, empathy, great relationships, truth, joy, peace, self-worth, identity, forgiveness. Those things worth anything to you? I bet they are. Okay. All right. So let's shift to this week. All right. So next stage of it doesn't matter. What about sin today? I've been contacted by several of you, okay, since last week. And what everyone's saying, or, or, or what those few people said, there were some really good comments too, was, but wait a minute. What about these scriptures that are huge on sin, even in the New Testament? What about those in light of grace and love? I mean, that's the New Testament. That's Jesus. That's Paul. That's John. That's, I mean, doesn't that count? 
What about that? All right, let's take a look at that. I tried to get all of the biggest ones of those, but there's more. There's a whole bunch of them. James 2, faith without works is dead, but if you look at it in context in the original language, what it really means is faith without works is dead faith. Ah! So the problem is not the works in that, even if you just look at it grammatically, the laws of the English language, all right? And, and, but in this case, we're going back to the, um, the Greek, okay? Faith without works is dead faith. That scripture's not even about the works. It's about the faith. The faith is the issue, okay? All right? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. God hates, this is one of the biggies, okay, on sin in the New Testament. God, no, I'm sorry, it's the Old Testament. This is one of the biggies in the Old Testament. We're going to get to the biggie in the New Testament. God hates seven of them. Those who practice these will not be saved. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, drunkenness, orgies, and then, and then here's the, the safety net. And the like. <laughs> so in other words, he puts a blank at the end of it and says anything else like this, God hates that too. Okay? But what's the key to this passage? You've got to look at the original language and you've got to look at the whole Bible in context. All right? So if we do that, what is critical about this passage? And ladies and gentlemen, it's this word, practice. That does not mean to slip up and fall and sin and do one of these. It does not mean that. It means that I'm intending to live this way. I mean, I, I went to college on a tennis scholarship. I wasn't any good, but I hated to lose, okay? So I would dive all over the court. I would end up bloody and bruised and stuff, but I would get the balls back quite a bit, all right? Well, I went to practice every day, two to three hours every day, winter two. And start, I started that when I was 10 years old, okay? And did it till I was probably 35. That's what this is saying. It's not talking about somebody who slips up and sins. And, 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 or, or maybe it's not even a slip up. You know exactly what you're doing. You know you should not do that and you do it anyway. Intentional sin. That still does not live up to the definition of practice, which is, no, I'm I want to do this, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get better and better at it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing it. I'm not going to stop. That is what this passage is saying, ladies and gentlemen. Not a slip-up or even intentional sin, but it's not what I want to do in my spirit and heart. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right? Okay. And then here's what it says after that, same passage. Those who live like this. Remember, okay? It's not saying 
you slip up or do it every once in a while or do it every day, but you don't want to and you're trying not to. No, this is the opposite of trying not to. This is trying to do it. Okay? Night and day different. They're opposites. Those who live like this, practice these things, will not be saved. And he even says in that passage, this is a warning. Those who live like this, those who practice these things, will not be saved. Why? Because if you practice these things, you don't love God. You can't. You can't. Not if you're intending to get better at it and keep doing it, okay? Uh, and it also says the wicked evildoers will not be saved. But, that, but the word, critical word there is evildoer. Christians aren't called evildoers. We're called saints. We're called righteous and holy. We're called saved, okay? Without blemish. The old is dead. The new has come. It's incorruptible. We have an incorruptible spirit, etc., okay? Nowhere is a Christian called an evildoer, all right? Evildoers will not be saved, okay? Those who practice will not be saved. Matthew 25, 46. Those who do these things will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, when we become a believer, we are given the righteousness of God through Jesus. That's a scripture I'll read in just a second. 1 John 3 verse 4. All who make a practice of doing these things, exactly like Galatians 5. 1 John 2, 4, you're a liar if you say you know him, but you don't keep his commandments. Why? Because if you know him, you will be in love with him. We love because he first loved us, okay? If you really know him, you'll, you'll do what he wants you to do, okay? Not, not perfectly, but that'll be your intention. And it says God judges the intention of the heart not the behavior, all right? James 4, sin, if you say you know right, but do wrong, same thing, same thing, all right? Um, 1 Timothy 1, those who practice these things, again, practice, 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 those evildoers, you live this as a lifestyle, you intend to do it, you intend to keep doing it, Okay? That's where the sin is. Uh, Matthew 5. Participate with your thoughts is a sin. This is Sermon on the Mount. And that's Jesus saying, hey, you've heard it's wrong to murder. Right? Everybody agrees? Wrong to murder? Yeah, thought so. Okay. I'm telling you now, today, with my arrival on earth, I'm massively paraphrasing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you think anger in your heart, yeah, he's not going to say that, is he? Yes, he did. If you have anger in your heart toward them, if you think anger toward them, if you participate with that anger talk, thought toward them, Jesus says you are guilty of murder. Oh, my goodness! That takes it from maybe sinning 
once a week or once every three days or maybe even one time a day to maybe sinning 50 times a day. Because any thought that I don't take captive that's a sinful thought, I'm now guilty of it as if I actually did it. Lied, stole, murder, whatever. Okay? So if you're telling me that all of these things are in place for the Christian who intends to do what God wants him to do but just falls sometimes, okay, you're wrong. Okay? Because if that were true and it's based on our behavior, we're dead meat. I mean, my father was terrified to die at the end of his life because he believed that even though he had lived a faithful, really wonderful life as a believer and a Christian, he believed that if he had one stray sinful thought of any kind before he had time to pray and ask for forgiveness because he died first, he believed he would go to hell. Ladies and gentlemen, no way is that true. That would violate almost the entire New Testament because that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about people who practice these things, make a lifestyle of it, never intend to stop, and that is the intention of their heart. Not to be obedient and pleasing to God and faithful. Okay? So if you're saying this is based on your own effort and willpower and strength to the degree that Jesus took it to where almost any thought you have is a sin, you're not going to be doing anything all day except, oh, oh, I just had this angry thought. Please forgive me, Father. Whew, okay, now I can go on. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Father. I just had this lustful thought. Please forgive I mean, you get the idea. And then Hebrews 6 is the big one, the unpardonable sin, okay? Those who have tasted of the love and light and greatness of God and then leave and never come back, there is no sacrifice left for them, okay? Now, I've told you I'm not a scholar. I have checked with multiple scholars about this one passage, and Knock on wood, so far, every one of them have told me the same thing. This is talking about people who are Christians or believers, and they intentionally leave. I don't, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I'm done. And I'm leaving, and I do leave. And I never intend to come back, and I never do come back. What I'm told by scholars is that, are, those are the people who fall under this passage, but nobody else. And the thing that every one of them pointed out to me is it's, almost, it's really impossible to do this. Because if you ever do come back, of course he will accept you back. The, the, the variable here is what you do, not what God does. This is, this is the... Um, this is the... Um, uh, my favorite parable, the prodigal son, this is the prodigal son who never came home. 
That's what this is. Now his dad was watching for him, waiting every day, looking down the road. Maybe he'll come today. Now God knows. He doesn't have to wonder. But, but this applies if he never came back. And God is going to give him his choice. He's going to give him his free will. You eliminate choice, you eliminate love. Okay? So, I believe if you're asking or wondering, does this apply to me? The very fact that you're asking it means it doesn't. Because you are thinking about coming back. Or maybe want to come back. This is only for the person who intentionally leaves, intentionally stays away, and never comes back. Okay? Alright, now, let's go to kind of the flip side of this coin. And growing up, I, I mean, and I mean even growing up into my late 20s, okay, it seemed like, okay, is, it, is this true or is this true? Because they're sort of, they seem conflicting. They're not conflicting at all. They fit together in perfect harmony as everything, I believe, of God does, all right? So, let's take a look at the other side. Matthew 22. Love is the whole law. If you do love, you have fulfilled the whole law. There is no law against that. It, it fulfills the whole law. Greatest commandment and second one too. You know in the Old Testament, love is nowhere in the Ten Commandments. That's not one of the ten. Now it may be what inspires all ten. But it is not mentioned as one of the Ten Commandments. That's, it's in the Old Testament, of course. Okay, But when Jesus is asked, basically, okay, under, under the New Covenant, what's the New Ten Commandments? He says, no, there's only two in the New Covenant. Love God, love others. You've, you, you've done that, you've fulfilled the whole law. There is no law that can condemn you if you have done that. That includes these things. Because these would be items of law. Sexual immorality, impurity, those are items of law. And you may do them. But Jesus says, if you live in love, and that's your intention. What you're trying to do, mess up every day, but that's your intention. God judges the intentions of the heart, not the behavior. All right? If that's your intention, and that's the way you're trying to live, You fulfilled the whole law, even though you mess up every day. Matthew 25, 31. The, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, let's go back. John 1, 27. Pure and faultless religion is this. Surely he's going to start saying all these law things. Jealous, sexual immorality, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, which can include a thousand other things. Surely that's what he's talking about no, it's not. He never mentions any of those. Pure and faultless religion is this. Take care of the widows, orphans, keep yourself unstained by the world. And I believe the unstained directly is to the whole law, which is summed up in love. Okay? All right. Matthew 25, verse 31, I call the entrance exam of heaven. That's the picture we have from Scripture of Judgment Day, and the sheep and the goats, and the goats, I never knew you, even though they think he, they're, they think they're coming in, at least some of them, 
And he says, no, I never knew you. And then he turns to the others and says, come in, my good and faithful servants, because you did not have sexual immorality or hatred or selfish ambition or drunkenness. Right? No, wrong. That has nothing to do with what he's talking about. That has nothing to do with the entrance exam. There's not one question about this stuff. So what's the question about? Feeding the hungry, the thirsty, caring for the sick, visiting prisoners in jail, being kind to strangers, giving people clothes who need clothes. It's serving others in love. That's the entrance exam. Not this stuff. Okay? That's not a conflict. That's in harmony. Because remember, this word practice, practice, practice. Evildoer. Your intention over here is this. Jesus said if your intention is this, you've got all this, all that, you don't even have to worry about it. That's taken care of. Now, I'm not saying do it. It's a sin. Sin always matters, right? But you're, you're being judged on this, not this. And if you do this, God says, you will keep my commandments. He won't have to worry about this stuff if you do this. And I believe that's why it makes sense because this is causal. These are symptoms. And these are symptoms of fear and low self-worth and believing lies about myself, okay? So perfect and faultless religion doesn't mention any of this, the entrance exam to heaven, none of this. They're both about serving others and love, okay? Um, 2 Corinthians 5, we are the righteousness of God. When you become a believer, you are given the righteousness of God. And another passage says the righteousness of Christ. Well, what's significant about that? Over here, eternal punishment to people who are guilty of all this stuff because they practice it. It's their intent to live that way. But the righteous will have eternal life. And we are given... You don't earn it. You're given the righteousness of God. You've got it now. If you're a believer, a Christian, in right standing with God, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If that's your intention, you've got it. 1 Corinthians 2, 11. Only, our, only your spirit that God gave you knows your deep thoughts of your heart. And your spirit is incorruptible. You've been given an incorruptible power source spirit from God that when we die goes back to God. And I think there's a possibility that once we are in heaven and have our new body, that spirit will be given back to us. And that's our eternal, part of our eternal life. Okay? Um, but only your spirit knows your deep thoughts. You consciously don't even know all of those. Okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 2. You, you have the mind of Christ. When you become a believer, you're given the righteousness of Christ. You're given the mind of Christ. Why? Because you're one with Him. The mystery of the ages. And that's another one I've got here. Um, 
2 Corinthians 16, you're given a new heart when you become a believer. You're given the mind of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and a new heart that's a heart under grace, not law. A, a heart under the spiritual law of love, not the natural law of sin, death, fear, etc. Okay? Second uh, Corinthians 5. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, you may still feel it. You may still think it. But in God's eyes and book, you are a new creation. The old, all that junk stuff is forgiven, gone, not a part of you forever into the future. Okay? Ephesians 2. You're saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, and, and they're trying to wrap their head around it in Romans. And, well, wait a minute. If that's true, then can we just sin all the more so that grace may abound? And Paul said, no, 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 no. If you do that, you do not understand grace. If you're experiencing grace and the love of God, you won't want to sin anymore. So that's an indicator too. Do you want to sin or do you not want to sin? If you really understand grace and our love with God, I love because he first loved me, I won't want to. But, you know, an interesting thing about that, Paul never says, well, if you sin more, there's a limit and it won't be forgiven. He doesn't say that. Why? Because there is no limit. 70 times 7. It's metaphorical. Okay? It's all forgiven. Colossians 1. The, the mystery that was hidden for ages. Jesus and you are one. So how do you have the righteousness of Christ, the mind? Because you're one. Now, you may not be experiencing that if you don't believe it, okay? If you believe it's sin, then for you it is sin. That's a scripture. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Our beliefs are critical. So if you believe this is true, that's by and large going to be the experience you have. Do good, feel good. Do bad, feel bad. Alright? Where as opposed to this, I am saved, righteous, holy, innocent. Let, let's look at some of those. Romans 1, 7. You're a saint. What, would you call this a saint? No way. So how can I be a saint if I've done a bunch of this stuff? Because through Jesus, in God's eyes and book, it was not me that did it. It was sin living in me. Romans 7. Paul describing his own experience. I do not understand what I do. I hate my own actions. What a wretched worm I am. But then, at the end of that passage, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who always leads us in victory if we will believe Him, trust Him, and surrender to Him. So you're a saint. 
You can't be guilty of this stuff and be a saint at the same time. Well, when do we become a saint? When we're saved, when you became a Christian or believer. Well, you, I don't feel like a saint. Yeah, right, and you can't count on your feelings, okay? Uh, Romans 8, lifetime guarantee. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No, zero, no possibility is, is what that means in the original and in context. Romans 8, 34, there is no one who condemns you now. If you are a child of God, accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, a Christian, a believer, there is no one who condemns you, and that would include God. That would include Yahweh, okay? Colossians 1, you were formerly evil before you became a Christian. You were formerly evil, but now you are holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. So, are these oppositional or do they fit together? They fit together. We saw on the other board that eternally, so much of the stuff you're worried about just simply doesn't matter from an eternal perspective. Okay? Even sin outside of the pain to God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and taking us down the wrong path and a whole bunch of stuff. But outside of that, from an eternal perspective, that sin doesn't matter as far as my eternity because I'm under grace and there is no condemnation. There's no one who condemns. I'm righteous, holy, innocent, the mind of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the new heart. But if I don't believe these things from Scripture, because this just scares the bejeebers out of me, which is how I grew up, then you may not be experiencing this because you don't believe it. Start believing it, and I believe you'll start to experience it. Okay? But, Yes, all of these passages about God hating sin and all of that, it's not talking about, in the context, in the original language, a slip-up or even intentional sin in the moment. It's the intention of your heart for the future, for my life. Am I ever going to let, do I ever intend to leave God in Jesus? Do I intend to keep sexually sinning more and more? Do I intend to keep lying more and more? Do I intend to keep gossiping more and more? Well, almost everyone I talk to says, oh, of course not. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm trying not to do it. Okay, then that doesn't apply to you. If that's not your intention, then this does not apply. God judges the intention of the heart. And it's about righteousness. Even this passage um, to eternal punishment, you know, but the righteous to eternal life, and we are given at salvation the righteousness of Christ. So even in the passages about the sin stuff, right in the middle of it, it says, but, 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 time out. The righteous will go to eternal life. This does not apply to the righteous, and you are given the righteousness of Christ. So, I hope that makes sense. 
Um, I do believe these fit together. But the issue is love. That's the New Covenant, the New Testament. And if we choose love, then this stuff is all taken care of. If we choose to practice evil and sin, our intention is to do it, to do it for the rest of our lives and to do it more and more. Okay, yeah, it does apply. But you know what? If you have become a believer and are saved and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it doesn't really matter, but it's mattering because you're believing it. And so because you believe all of these things are added to you and, are, and make you go from saved to lost, saved to lost, saved to lost, you won't necessarily go from saved to lost, but it'll mess up your earthly experience. You will not experience, for the most part, love, joy, peace. You'll experience selfishness, um, sadness, hopelessness, helplessness, anxiety, stress, low self-worth, rejection, unforgiveness, etc. Okay? So, we have to put it in context. Okay? And when you put it in context, these are talking about two different things. This is talking about people who intend to sin long-term. This is talking about the love of God and His plan of grace and how He has got it all covered for you in your life if you will just trust Him and have faith and yield to Him out of love, not, not guilt or obligation. Okay? So, um... Those big passages about sin scare you to death. They may not be talking about what you think they're talking about. And after you read them, you better overlay the other scriptures that talk about the new covenant of grace and love and how it works. Okay? Because this is causal. These are symptoms. All right. Sorry I went longer this time, but to me, this is really, really important stuff. I misunderstood this the first 27 years of my life, and it basically ruined my life, okay? And I was about to lose everything. I don't want that for you, okay? So, um, search this out for yourself. See if this makes sense. Talk to some people way smarter than me. Okay? But let me tell you, if you're not living under grace and love by choice and belief, you will never have the life you want and, and God wants for you until you understand it and do, in my opinion. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful, blessed day.